As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room, formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys. Spotify Green Room is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Start or join ongoing conversations. Watch games together. React to the biggest news, rumors, and games. And, of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the uh, on the app so that you'll know anytime that I go live because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. <laughs> What's up, guys? Here we are starting off the AFC North, the Bears, and, and you will hear me mention this with each one of my AFC North guests starting today uh, with Miss Lindsay Patterson from the Cincinnati Inquirer that uh, I will remind them all, all four of them, that the Bears have a uh, winning streak of uh, at least two seasons going against the uh, AFC North. We were undefeated in 2013, also undefeated in 2017 uh, against the division. So we'll looking we'll be looking to defend our AFC North crown when we butt heads later on this season in 2021. So. Um, uh, I, I think it will be a lot more difficult than it was in 2017 uh, when the teams were kind of uh, struggling or we caught them on the right day. Like we caught Pittsburgh uh, early in the season. Cleveland was in the midst of going 0-16 uh, that year. The Bengals were floundering. And, you know, I think um, I remember that Ravens game. That was uh, an interesting one. We had some defensive touchdowns in that one. It went in, it went to overtime. And Mitch makes that crazy throw. Uh, to uh, I, th- I want to say Eddie Royal, but I'm I'm sure that's wrong. Um, it wasn't Eddie Royal. He wasn't on the team anymore. I can't remember who the receiver was, but uh, he was a journeyman. Was on the Bears for 2017. Makes a crazy catch that gets in the field goal range that uh, wins the game. That was a game where you know we had the defensive touchdown, the long interception return from Adrian Amos. Tariq Cohen throws a touchdown to uh, Zach Miller. Uh, you know on that one, it was just it was a crazy football game. But uh, we won that one, and, you know, we, we finished up with Cincinnati and Cleveland at the end of the year to go 4-0 and against the AFC North, and we went 5-11 and on the season. So that just give you 
uh, an indication of what the, what the year was like for us. But uh, it got rid of Fox. It brought in Nagy. And fast forward, here we are uh, right now. Looking forward to 2021. And now that we have a, a brighter outlook for the future, I mean, even if Pace and Nagy don't stick around, Justin Fields, Tevin Jenkins, you know, we're hearing good things about the kids that we brought in. And, you know, we've got some young guys coming up and things like that. So who knows? We'll see what 2021 is. Now we're actually all looking forward to it. We all have something to look forward to uh, after the draft with Justin Fields and Tevin Jenkins and, uh, and everything else. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to say the, to say the least. And these, these conversations that I had with my AFC North guests, I enjoyed very much. Uh, you know, had a great time talking to Lindsay. Up next will be Jeff Lloyd from Locked On Brown. Actually, the next three episodes, we'll finish off the AFC North with all Locked On guys. Uh, Jeff Floyd from uh, Jeff Lloyd, excuse me, from uh, Locked On Browns. Kevin Ostriker from the Locked On Ravens, and Christopher Carter from uh, Locked On uh, Steelers. And then we'll start up with our NFC North uh, brethren uh, a couple weeks from now. But um, you know, like I said, I mentioned to them all that this is a streak that we're looking to uh, continue. We'll see how how far we get because we have, I think we have Cleveland like week two and Cincinnati week three or something like that. It like back to back the two of them. So, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll find out early on, you know, Cleveland probably being one of the better teams in the division this year. Will we be able to continue our undefeated streak by playing one of the, the best teams, if not the best team in the AFC North this year right off the bat? But, uh, you know, right now we're talking about the Cincinnati Bengals uh, looking at um, – you know, the return of Joe Burrow coming off that ACL injury. Uh, Lindsay and I talk about uh, whether or not it was a, a good thing or a bad thing, a mistake or, uh, or what have you to take Jamar Chase over Penny Sewell, uh, especially since what, what got Burrow hurt was poor offensive line play, especially in that Washington uh, game. Is it, uh, you know, is it, is it a wise choice not to protect or to not to protect the quarterback to, to, to go out and get a guy to watch his uh, blind side, especially coming off of uh, an ACL injury that was caused by poor pass protection? Uh, you know, because it is difficult to hit a wide open receiver when you're trying to throw the ball from underneath a pile of humanity. So, you know, we talk about the the pros and cons of the of the move. We also had an interesting back and forth about. You know, the Bengals were like basically one of the first teams in this year's draft that didn't need a quarterback. You know, obviously, number one with Jacksonville, that was Trevor Lawrence all the way. Number two with the Jets was started out with Justin Fields, ended up being Zach Wilson. The When the 49ers traded up, they made it widely known it was going to be a quarterback. So Trey Lance, Mac Jones, Justin Fields were the choices there. And then we get to Atlanta, where obviously Matt Ryan – uh, is getting up there in age, but still a productive quarterback. Would they choose a quarterback of the future to kind of uh, learn behind him for a year or two before taking over the mantle when Ryan uh, retires? Then you get to five, Cincinnati, the first team where quarterback was not a question. And, you know, did was there ever any talk in Cincinnati, in Bangaland, about Cincinnati trading out of that spot to, you know, gather up some first-round picks, get some future uh, assets and, and things like that. Interesting conversation uh, about that. So let's go ahead and bring in Lindsey Patterson from the Cincinnati Inquirer as we kick things off with our AFC North uh, previews. 
It is the first AFC North opponent preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground, guys. So let's get to it. So we close the book on the NFC West, and now we move on to our AFC North opponents for 2021. And we start with the Cincinnati Bengals, and here to help us uh, preview the 2021 Bengals and where they think they're headed uh, this season, uh, Lindsay Patterson from the Cincinnati Inquirer. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm moving right along. You know, this is what I like to call the vast wasteland of the offseason between the draft and before training camp it's like yeah you have OTAs and things like that but for the most part this is the down part of the offseason that no football fan looks forward to so this is what I do to stay busy in that time period to get to training camp as quickly as possible no I love it I'm already counting the days down it's funny you say that because this week was supposed to be mini camp for the Bengals and I know a lot around the NFL they're finishing up mini camps or, or they've already wrapped it up and Zach Taylor told us today that there's no more minicamp. Today was the last day for them. So I'm kind of feeling the same way. I thought I had until about Thursday to get into training camp mode. Oh. But now it's uh, it's semi-vacation, even even though in the NFL there's no offseason. Right. Well, So they shut it down like the Niners did. Yeah, shut it down. They felt good. They had pretty good full attendance for three weeks at OTA. So they, they felt, hey, we put everything in. We felt good about it. We got some reps in. And uh, let's hold off until training camp. Okay. All right. Well, let's hope that that's a good sign for for the upcoming season because the Bengals struggle with a uh, 4-11-1 record. And for a second, I had to do a double check when I was looking at last year's schedule because, like, the first two places I checked said the Bengals were 4-12, and but I kept seeing that Philadelphia game marked as a loss even though the score was 23-23. to So I bounced around to like three different places like, this is not right. And then finally on ESPN, good old ESPN showing that it was a tie week three between the Bengals and the the Eagles. What is it about those two teams? They like to tie each other. That's like the second or third time that's happened. The Bengals and the Eagles tie each other. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I don't know why. And going back to that game, oh, my goodness, that was a uh, brutal game for the offensive line. I know a lot of people talk about the Bengals offensive line, but Joe Burrow took some hits in that. And, you know, you mentioned that you were seeing that it was a loss on some websites, and I, I feel like a tie is a loss. Right. So it pretty much felt like that after that game. Yeah, the, 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 old, uh, what you, the old adage, the tie is like kissing your sister. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to do that. So, uh, no. yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, it was it's 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 a, I've I've always kind of had a sentimental feeling towards the Bengals even as a uh Bears fan because when I was coming up and I was first really getting into football, this is the mid to late 80s of course, the Bengals were one of the best teams in football at the time. In 88 they go all the way to the Super Bowl, the Yankee Shuffle, you know, they've they've taken the world by storm kind of thing, play one of the one of the best Super Bowl games of all time in Super Bowl twenty three, the heartbreaker with the John and John Taylor touchdown at the end and and things like that. So I kind of come came up watching a lot of Bengals football and also um Walt uh, excuse me, when Walter Payton retired, Warren Moon was one of my favorite players in the league. So he was in the AFC Central with the Bengals. So you got to see them play each other twice a year and, and all that kind of stuff. So I saw a lot of Bengals football and it's been kind of tough for me to watch them kind of linger where they've been, uh, you know, for, for a while. I mean, even, even with the, the, the good Marvin Lewis years, they've kind of gone back down uh, to where they were for such a long time before Lewis came to town. 
Yeah, I think you can look back at the Marvin Lewis years, and, and yes, Marvin did a lot of good things early on in his coaching career in Cincinnati, but I, I think that that train should have probably ended a little sooner than oh, how long goodness. he was in Cincinnati. Yeah. But, but yeah, no, with this team, honestly, it's just, it's been a crazy three years. Um, and, and I, I get kind of, uh, in trouble for this because I, 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 they call me an apologist for Zach Taylor. I still think, look, the guy in year one, he's coming off the Super Bowl short offseason, taking his first head coaching job, hires his crew. He finalizes all of that in March. Then the next year, I, I know everybody was dealing with COVID. You get a rookie quarterback, he gets injured, and then this is year three. So it's uh, it's been a little up and down in Cincinnati, and obviously we can go back a little further and, and a little tie to Chicago right now, the Andy Dalton years when mm-hmm. he went to the playoffs five times in a row, and yeah. they just couldn't get over that hump. Yeah, and that's I and I think it was like maybe year three in that five year stretch that I was like, for all the good that Marvin Lewis has done, especially with what he did in Cincinnati, how he kind of revitalized the organization when he came in. Now they're you know now the the playoffs is the bar. That's where they're supposed to be. I thought maybe after that like third straight loss, and I think it was even like a home loss to the Chargers or something like that, where I was like, maybe they should let somebody else try this because it's like I I think it was kind of like um, with uh, Tony Dungy and the Buccaneers, he got them to this point, but they had to hire Gruden to get over the hump and win a Super Bowl. I was thinking that you know Marvin Lewis was the uh, was. Uh, was Tony Dungy, and they need to bring somebody else in to kind of take the Bengals the rest of the way if it was possible. And they just, one-year extension after one-year extension after one-year extension, just really kind of dragged that out about two, three years longer than they should have. Oh, yeah. That it was a long time coming, and I, I think that should have ended after the 2014 season and, of course, the following year. And I say that the following year, they had one of their best seasons. If Andy Dalton doesn't get hurt in regular season, yeah. he could end up having an MVP year. So, yeah, going, going back a little further, I just feel like, you know, he, he overstayed his welcome. No offense to Marvin Lewis. I think it was uh, it was time to move on. He did a lot of great things in Cincinnati. But, um, obviously, this this team is still struggling and on how to get back to the playoffs and when they are in the playoffs, how, how to win. Yeah, yeah, it's um have you been a Cincinnati fan your whole life? Well, I, I grew up around Cincinnati sports. Okay. Uh, my whole entire life. So yeah, I just this is only I pretty much knew <laughs> growing <laughs> up. Cause uh, you know, as I see some of your tweets and you're like, you know, uh, what's what's better on a work day than a home, Reds home game and things like that. So uh I, I kind of figure that you're you've got skin in the game when it comes to the Bengals. Well, no, no. I mean, for the Bengals, obviously, just growing up and, and loving the NFL was one thing. And just seeing these teams as I was growing up, obviously, they weren't successful. Right. Um, they were still struggling, struggling in the playoffs or, or how to get to the playoffs. But no, I, I just, um, I just growing up around the area and it's Cincinnati is the reason I love sports so much. Sure. Sure. So let's talk about this, this, uh, you know, this, this season that you guys had last year it was, um, you guys and I and I cursed the Bengals last year about midseason because at the time we were having some extreme troubles with our offensive line uh, ourselves and our defense was was struggling uh, against the run and uh, the week before we played them you guys played the Tennessee Titans and somewhere out of nowhere not only did you beat the Titans you destroyed them 
essentially. Like 31 to 20 does not tell the story of how the well the Bengals played in that game and how perfectly they played against the Titans. And it gave me hope that the Bears, who I felt were a better football team than the Bengals, might actually have a shot of winning this game against the Titans. And then nothing could have been further from the truth when the Titans and the Bears got together. And I was like, you know, curse the Bengals for giving me hope. I could have just let this one go because I didn't think the Bears could beat the Titans initially. And, you know, the Bengals beating them and beating them the way they did, like, oh, they figured it out. They laid out the blueprint for us. And, yeah, that, that, that didn't happen. So I was not a fan of the Bengals that Sunday. I think kind of going back to that game, that was really when the offense started to get it going. Um, I think even look back on um, when Joe Burrow was injured and getting 10 games under his belt, and obviously this happened right right after halftime. And his the offense was clicking. The chemistry was there, and I felt that's what happened when you look back to that Titans game. They, the funny thing about that game is a lot of talk about the Bengals' offensive line, and you're talking about Chicago's. But they had musical chairs going on. They had injuries going into that game. They had pretty much all backups out there. And a guy in Clinton, Spain, who they've just picked up a couple of days later, started in that game and was learning players' names in the huddle. So that's what's crazy about that game. And, and I, yeah. I kind of blame it on the Joe Burrow effect because that's when they just really felt like they started to roll going into November and, and they had it going, even though they struggled with the offensive line. So I think that's what the key was in that Titans game. Yeah, I mean, trust me, I, I talked to my my Titans guy going into that one, and it was coming off the heels uh, of that loss. And and he, tr- trust me, he he reminded me a few times that it was all backups, that they were literally pulling guys off the street to play the offensive line, and they could not get to Burrow at all. There were very little pressures uh, and things like that, and the Bengals just went up and down the field on them all all day long and you know because he was actually trying to help me get hope going into this game because I wasn't looking forward to it and he's like after what Cincinnati did uh, uh, to us you know they pretty much showed the league how to beat us and uh, you know I guess the Bears just didn't watch that tape because they didn't do anything to be effective against the uh, against the Titans in that game. So. No that that is definitely a game that'll always stand out in the, uh, the musical chairs of the offensive line. And, and the offense definitely gaining some chemistry and getting it going against a really good Titans team. Yeah, very good Titans team, and uh, yeah, they were they were very very tough because we played them the next week and it was no bueno for the Bears. That's for sure. So we we go into the uh, off season. Of course, the the last what six seven games I think for Burrow were were lost to the to the ACL, and you don't like to see anything that like that happen, especially to this rookie quarterback that's going to be the cornerstone of your franchise knock on wood for the next 10 to 15 years and um you know Riley Reef the offensive tackle is basically unless I'm missing one was the only offensive lineman signed uh by the Bengals and then on draft day you pass on on Penny Sewell and I'm not sure how did the Bengals how do Bengals fans feel like but was it overshadowed by the reunion of Jamar Chase and, and Burrow or was everyone kind of hanging on the fact like well we could have had the best offensive tackle in the draft and we passed on him Here's the thing about that I felt like it was definitely 50-50 when it comes to the Cincinnati fan base I think that was more of a national thing obviously mm-hmm. you can look at the offensive line we talked about it plenty of times their offensive line has struggled since the 2015 year when they let Kevin Zeiler and Andrew Whitworth go away. Their biggest problem on their offensive line has been their guard position. Mm-hmm. And going into this offseason, obviously, they did have to draft more offensive line help. And, and they did. With Jackson Carmen, he'll come in and, and compete for the guard position. And Quentin Spain will compete for the other side. 
Riley Reeve, Jonah Williams, they're hoping to keep him healthy out there. But I don't think that was – in Cincinnati, I felt like it was more 50-50. I think fans understood that, look, they want to score points. They want that reunion with Jamar Chase. And the Bengals, I will say this, it's a little bit of a hot take, but I will say that they don't have the worst offensive line in their division right now. Obviously, they need to protect Joe Burrow. He's coming off a, a terrible knee injury. He's been doing so so far so good in OTAs and, and day one of mini camp. But but I think what their goal is, and they bring Frank Pollock in as the offensive line coach, which could be a game changer too, because they had Jim Turner who who struggled a little bit with the offensive line over the last couple of years. I think their biggest thing, the most important player when you look at this team going into twenty twenty one, not named Joe Burrow. Is Jonah Williams on the left side as a left tackle? Yeah, they drafted him early for a reason a couple years ago, so he needs to stay healthy and, and be that guy, stay on the field. He is working with a different coach. You get Riley Reef out there, and this team just felt that the offensive line depth was in this draft. And if you look around the NFL, I felt like a lot of teams felt that way. Mm-hmm. They thought mm, you can you can get him in the second or third round because it was such a deep offensive line class. And I don't think Cincinnati was the only organization to pass on offensive linemen. And and, and you know, Penesol might might go out to be one of the best offensive line pieces in the NFL. But people are ready to put everybody in the Hall of Fame before the draft started. Right. So I was like, poor guy. Like the expectations are, are extremely high going into this. And I think it wouldn't have been a bad move either way. You, I said that all along. I said it's a win-win situation for Cincinnati. If they get Panay Sewell, it helps the offensive line. If they pass on Panay Sewell, they get another weapon out there. I know a lot of people want to point to the room and say, oh, they already have T. Higgins. They have Tyler Boyd. Um, you can put out and Tate out there, but he can't really stay too healthy, and he's more of a maybe put him in over when you're when you're near the red zone. So I think this team needs that receiver, and they showed in the offseason that they did not add to the wide receiver room as a starter. Not to say they need a one or a two wide receiver right now. I don't think it matters. Um, these guys aren't aren't you know going to be upset if they're getting less footballs or less touchdowns as long as they're winning. So I think they needed that game changer kind of player with speed. Marquez just different when he's out there, and obviously a reunion with his former quarterback didn't hurt either. But I think it was it was pretty much a fifty fifty split when it comes to how fans felt about the Bengals taking Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell. Well, I can speak to the fact that uh, plenty of teams passed on offensive linemen uh, in the draft because the fact that they did that means that the tackle that I wanted all along for the Bears to take was waiting <laughs> for us in the second round. Uh, you know, he was because he was actually who I wanted the Bears to take, Tevin Jenkins. Of course, who I'm talking yep. about, he was who I wanted the Bears to take at 20. If we stayed, stood firm and the board fell that way, I wanted the Bears to take Jenkins at 20. And instead, we trade up, we get Justin Fields, and then Jenkins is still sitting there in the second round when the Bears trade up to, to 39. This was like heaven on earth for me. Oh, that, 100%. That's like fantasy draft for me to get Justin Fields and Tevin Jenkins uh, in the same draft. And they're on my team. Those kind of things happen to everybody else. They don't happen to the Bears. I don't get to watch those things happen to us. But, uh, yeah, I can definitely speak to some to, to this being such a heavy uh, offensive line uh, draft that some teams felt they could sit and wait because they sat and waited and let a first-round uh, graded guy fall into the second round for my team to snatch up. So bravo, everyone else passing up on offensive linemen. So that guy was sitting there when the Bears came due in the second uh, round. So, But, you know, it's, 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 it was an interesting thing because I'm, I'm a former offensive lineman, so, of course, I was on Team Sewell to protect that quarterback, especially since 
he got hurt because the offensive line kind of let him down. It was Washington that he got hurt against, right? Yeah, Washington. They were rolling in the first half, and then uh, unfortunately, it was a it was a bad bad play. Nobody wants to replay that or, or watch that again on TV. But it's, yep, they were uh, having having themselves a day. And then that's the one the crazy thing about kind of going back to that game was Joe Burrow. Obviously, everybody saw the injury. They saw what he was dealing with after the game. His first thought was wow, we were really rolling against a good defense against Washington. Yeah. You know, dealing with, like, knowing his season's over, but it's just like, man, we, we really had it going. It's unfortunate that we could pull that win off. Right. Um, but, yeah, no. Offensive line, it's, I feel like I've, uh, I talk about it every year, every week, almost every day <laughs> when covering the Cincinnati Bengals right now. So, well, <laughs> for someone, for someone like me, this is year 15 that I'm doing uh, this podcast. Hopefully, this will be the last offseason where I have to talk about the Bears quarterback position. So I feel your pain Seriously? as far as like year in and year out. We're always talking about that one position that's plagued the team more than any other. Hopefully I'm done talking about the future of the quarterback position for the Chicago Bears for at least the next 10 to 12 years with Justin Fields uh, as our as our starter. Knock on wood, cross your fingers and toes and all the rest of that stuff to, to make the wish that comes true because I, I am so sick of wondering who the quarterback is going to be or hearing about how the Bears quarterback position is what's holding them back from being good and uh, things like that just like I'm sure you're up to your neck in talking about the offensive line uh, and things like that so but um, you know what I was what I was going to say was I felt like it would have been an easier argument to make to take Chase over Sewell if Burrow hadn't gotten hurt like yeah he got banged up but he made it through the season so maybe a tweak here or there as opposed to it, it basically it looked like your number one priority because Burrow got hurt and you know that's where I was coming down on the side of, of Penny Sewell because Burrow did get hurt because the offensive line uh, let him down so I mean like you said I don't think you could lose either way but it's hard to hit the receiver throwing the football from your back is the only point that I wanted to make. Oh, 100%. I mean, it's it's a fair argument, and everybody has great points when they talk about it. Sure. Um, but, but I think the Bengals, they, they felt comfortable with, you know, the adjustments that they'll make, and, and they'll bring in new bodies, too, during training camp to compete at the guard position. But they just felt like this guy can come in, he can help us score some points, and uh, now it's just about what, what these guys are going to work with when they work with Frank Pollock as the new offensive line coach. But all the arguments are totally fair. <laughs> I've heard them. Yeah, I'm sure you have. So let's look at the rest of the free agent uh, signings. It was an interesting offseason. A.J. Green is gone. Uh, Giovanni Bernard is gone. John Ross is uh, gone. It's just, you know, it's a pretty interesting list of it almost looks like all of the cornerbacks that Marvin Lewis drafted are no longer on the team because he went on a streak there for a while that if if there was a cornerback available in the first round by God Marvin Lewis was going to take him and uh, it doesn't look like that's going on in Cincinnati anymore no no they definitely went pretty heavy in it, and it's almost a joke every time the Bengals are picking early in the draft that they're going to go cornerback because yeah. I remember those years I mean even when I was a kid Leon Hall Jonathan Joseph back-to-back years uh that that's never uh surprising what they do they do go heavy in the offseason when it comes to free agency and, and you look on the defensive side but yeah no they've been uh they've been going offensive heavy for for a couple years now so they they gotta they gotta show for it now yeah, so they go out and was the secondary an issue? Because it looks like they kind of went heavy on the secondary and free agency. Ricardo Allen, uh, Mike Hilton from the Steelers, uh, 
Shadobe Yadouze from 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 Dallas and uh, Trent Taylor from San Francisco, just among some of the signings that were made to address the secondary. Yeah, I think when you William Jackson is gone and mm-hmm. they moved on from him when it comes to the cornerbacks, I, I think you have a guy like Jesse Bates out there who some would say is one of the best safeties in the NFL right now. You bring Mike Hilton in, which I think is one of the most underrated uh, signings for what, what they really bring into their secondary. Their biggest problem right now on defense is getting to the quarterback. They don't have a pass rush. So they do have a lot of young guys in there when you look at some of the rookies. And obviously, Carl Lawson is gone. They're hoping Trey Hendrickson can step up and be that replacement produce just like Carl Lawson did. But that's their biggest struggle. I think their secondary played okay last year. had the chance to be better this year. They've added more depth, and that's been one of their problems because you could look at seasons from the last couple years. And by week 15, you don't even know who the guy is when it comes to the corner that they just signed two yeah. days prior to in a game. So it's uh, it's definitely something that they've just needed more depth at in that position. And then obviously with William Jackson the third leaving and going to Washington, they need to uh, fill that void and that hole. But I think their biggest worry right now is is their young linebackers going into year two. A lot of rookies who will be uh, who had to, you know, step up last season, they're asking them to step up and, and, and be veterans. And getting to the quarterback and um, pass rush and uh, their defensive line is, is probably their biggest, biggest struggles over the last couple of years. Okay, so two more questions about the free agency thing. Was Thaddeus Moss going to be another one of those reuniting with Joe Burrow will reignite him and what he did in, in college kind of thing? You know, it doesn't hurt sure. <laughs> because you look at the Cincinnati Bengals right now and there's a lot of LSU guys out there. And even Joe Burrow, he'll say, well, I got a lot, you know, some of my Ohio State teammates on, on this roster too. Uh, he likes to bring that up. A lot of familiar faces that he definitely sees out there. But it, it, to be determined, um, Thaddeus, it's, it's just, they doesn't hurt for the tight end room. They obviously have CJ Uzama who's coming off Achilles injury right now. He's a hundred percent, which is crazy to think about because he had that injury last September and the Thursday night game against the Cleveland Browns. And then you have Drew Sample. Uh, a lot of people criticize the Cincinnati Bengals for taking him in the second round a couple years ago. And I thought he was able to produce last year and just kind of involving those tight ends. And with Thaddeus, it might be more of a, a depth piece in the tight end room to be determined on, on if he makes the roster, but I don't think it hurts to uh, reunite him with someone he felt really comfortable with. And obviously that championship run in, in 2019. Yeah. That season was bananas. What they did, and especially <laughs> him and Jamar chase uh, in that championship game against uh, Clemson or just constantly hooking up with, with one another, or was it the week before against like Oklahoma or something where they broke the scoreboard in that semifinal game? Uh, you know, five touchdowns in the first quarter or whatever it was. But, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I was interested to see if, if that was kind of, uh, kind of the thought. Like, you, you've got Jamar Chase out there, bring in Thaddeus Moss, who was one of his other favorite targets in college, and see if that, uh, you know, that trio can get it done uh, once again. And then finally, uh, for, uh, for the free agency, what's, what's the story with Geno Atkins? He's unsigned right now. Are they talking about bringing him back? Are they letting him go? Is he pursuing his options, what's going on with him? I think right now Gino is just going to make sure he's 100% healthy. Obviously, reports a couple weeks ago that he was going to go to back to Dallas, someone he was familiar with in the training staff for the Dallas Cowboys and just get cleared. I know a lot of teams have been interested in Gino. I don't know if the Gino Atkins training is going to happen in Cincinnati. I think he'll have other options. A lot of of credit to Gino, though, going back to last season. There's a a little bit of drama when you talk about the Bengals defense and and, and the Carlos Dunlap situation. And obviously Gino Adkins, who I still feel like 
an underrated player when he's healthy out there. And, you know, if only he would have been healthy more than injured, um, you could even put him in the, and people will criticize me for this, even the Hall of Fame talk with Geno Adkins with, with the way he used to play when he can uh, stay healthy and be on the field. But I don't see, I don't see a reunion in Cincinnati happening. And that's nothing against Geno Adkins. I think he'll have other options. And, and if he doesn't, then, uh, then maybe, maybe a visit back to Cincy. But, uh, at the moment, I think he'll be going elsewhere. You know, Atkins reminds me, his career kind of mirrors that of uh, Tommy Harris uh, for the Bears. Yeah. He was a, a guy that came out of the gates and regarded as one of the best, if not the best, interior defensive linemen uh, in the league. And then, uh, unfortunately, after he got... I mean, and, and it's not like, a, you know, a, a thing. It's just like you just see it happen a lot in the league. The guy earns his second contract. He's making a lot of money, and then all of a sudden he can't stay healthy, whether it's bad luck or he got paid so he's not taking it as seriously as he used to or, you know, whatever the reasons may be. Just And I like to lean towards bad luck because I never fault the player. But, you know, yeah. you know, you just see the guy. He's, he's successful. He earned that contract. Fans love him, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden it just – kind of falls off and it he doesn't have quite the career that he started out to have because Tommy Harris was was definitely on a Hall of Fame trajectory and then it's just after he signed uh his big deal he just could not stay healthy to save his life and it ended up affecting how his career ended up yeah I I think you can look back on that for for Geno Atkins even last year alone he didn't get to play and he, he tried to play, but he was playing uh, pretty injured. And, you know, obviously he didn't come out and say, I'm injured, but I'm still going to play. And a lot of people wondered why he wasn't getting enough reps, but that was really it. And it's unfortunate because Gino Atkins is uh, someone who, you know, we don't hear a lot from. He's a pretty quiet guy. And um, if, if he could have stayed healthy, what, what could have been in Cincinnati for his career. But, yeah, I don't – I think he'll play again, but I just don't think it'll be in Cincinnati. Sure, sure. So we move on to draft night, and we talked about the move uh, with with Jamar Chase, and, and like you said, and I agree with you in that. They, the, I don't think the Bengals could have made a wrong decision here. I mean, it's like I think the only thing they could have done wrong was like, and the Bengals select Justin Fields from Ohio State, <laughs> and, and like that probably would have been the only way I think they could have screwed that one up. But uh, you know, there was a lot they could do there at five. Um, and, but how, how heavy was the talk? Was there, because they're one of the few people in the top 10 that didn't need a quarterback. So of course they were a big trade target, or at least that's where trade speculation was. Was there any serious consideration on the Bengals part that they might trade out of that spot to, you know, pick up some extra picks and, and, uh, that kind of thing to, uh, to help improve the team that way, as opposed to staying in that top five spot to get an elite prospect. I think if they would have been anywhere but five, maybe, maybe earlier, maybe at three or four, that mm-hmm. would have been a possibility. And obviously last year, I'm sure people were calling when they had the number one pick, they weren't moving. Last right. year, they were really confident as of January when that season ended that this team was going to stay put at number one because obviously they needed a quarterback and they were more than likely going to move on from Andy Dalton. But I, I think they felt, and we talked to Zach Taylor about it plenty of times prior to the draft and even on draft night, he said our guys there, they knew their playmaker was there who could come out immediately and make an impact right away. I didn't think they wanted to chance that. You look at the teams after them, I don't see how uh, Jamar Chase stays on the board after uh, five or six. So yeah. I think they wanted to just stay where they're at. They felt that they really confident in their pick and they didn't really want to mess with it even though they could have gained some more picks and uh never hurts to, to gain an extra pick or two but they didn't they didn't want to risk it 
Yeah, because I've I've talked about this, and I'm sure my listeners are sick of hearing me say this over and over <laughs> again. But it's like for me, the my biggest fear uh, throughout the offseason and, and especially on draft night was what the was that the, the the conversation about the Bears trading up to get a quarterback did not go away, not even a little bit, not after we signed Dalton or anything like that. It just it was there, and I was deadly concerned about what it was the Bears were willing to trade in order to get in a position to take one of the quarterbacks that was like, there are four or five good quarterbacks and we're, you know, like if the rumors were fine, they'd all be gone in the top five picks. So the, that's where the bears needed to be if they wanted to get one and what the bears were going to have to give up uh, in order to uh, get it. And the Bengals being one of those spots where, you know, they don't need a quarterback, but they're in the quarterback drafting area. And you know, how, how badly would the Bengals have fleeced the bears if we made phone calls trying to get up to that, uh, spot like how many first round picks were we going to miss before we get to choose again to move up and, and take that uh, to take that quarterback of our dreams so uh, but it all worked out the, the the best way I could have imagined I mean I can't even tell you the relief that I had not after drafting fields but after finding out what we paid to move up we did not mortgage our future to go get them and I couldn't have been more than th- couldn't have been more thrilled about how that all turned out but um this episode of the bears talk underground is brought to you by the spotify green room formerly known as the locker room app guys spotify green room is a live audio only sports talk platform free to download and use talk to me other fans athletes and insiders in real time it's perfect for watch parties debates post-game breakdowns and reacting to breaking news share your own experiences on the app start or join ongoing conversations watch games together react to the biggest news rumors and games and of course I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the uh, on the app so that you'll know anytime that I go live because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. <laughs> this episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by Kansas City Steaks. Kansas City Steak Company wants to make this your best grilling season ever. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with the code SD at checkout. From classic steak cuts to USDA Prime to hard-to-find specialty cuts and more, Kansas City Steaks has everything you need to fire up the grill. These are steakhouse-quality steaks aged to perfection. They make it so easy each order is flash-frozen and delivered directly. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Enjoy their butter-tender filet mignon, hearty Kansas City steak strip steaks, and savory ribeyes. It's been a hard year, so enjoy being together again by bringing the steakhouse to your house with Kansas City Steaks. Go to KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with the code SD at checkout. That's Kansas 
KansasCitySteaks.com, code SD. <laughs> anyway, moving on, the second round, you mentioned Jackson Carmen before the tackle out of Clemson. He's going to play a guard for you guys? Yeah, at the moment, I think they're going to keep him at guard. Riley Reef obviously is not a long-term solution. He'll be there one year, maybe two, mm-hmm. if they're lucky. All that really depends on going into the 2021 season and what happens with this offensive line. As you know, Justin Carmen is more familiar with, with playing tackle, and that could be a future position for him. But at the moment, I think he can keep that guard. I think it'll be right guard. And and it's not it's penciled in over at left guard but with Clinton Spain. Obviously, the competition in training camp could change. Xavier Suofilo was injured most of last season. That could be a little bit of change on the left side, but I don't feel like those are their long-term answers at guard. But I think Jackson Carmen, what they're working on right now with Frank Pollock, obviously just fundamentals in his rookie year and getting used to that. And I think that's what they're really going to go heavy on for Jackson Carmen at the guard position with the potential. Maybe uh, maybe shoot him out a little bit right at right tackle in the future, but that's to be determined. Yeah, Riley Reef hasn't exactly had the best track record of staying healthy in the last five years or so. Yeah. <laughs> so that probably wouldn't be a bad idea to swing him out there every once in a while, let him get some reps uh, at tackle because he might be called into duty before too long with uh, with Riley Reef. And um, Joseph Asai, uh, who came across my radar because he was the unfortunate victim of one of Tevin Jenkins' big highlights uh, in his, uh, his, his hit reel, where he basically got up underneath Osai's pads and drove him into the sidelines where they together took out civilians uh, on the <laughs> sidelines. It was one of those where it's like, yeah, that one kind of sticks out on Tevin Jenkins' game tape where he got underneath him and pushed him into about five people uh, on the sidelines. Uh, but other than that, he had a pretty good career at Texas. He ended up as a third-round pick uh, for you guys. Is he going to be a day-one contributor or somebody coming off the bench? You know what? That's a really great question, and I think their goal is, obviously, it looks young when when you flip to the defensive side. I even mentioned it, that a lot of the rookies from last year in the linebacker department, year two, they're asking them to step up who are going to start right away and contribute right away. I think the same thing with Joseph Asai. I still feel like when I look at the Bengals draft right now that the Joseph Asai pick might be the steal. A lot of people said, you they, they kind of criticized the Jackson Carmen pick because there were offensive, a lot of offensive line pieces, and if you remember, the Bengals traded back a little bit. They gained more draft picks, and they were able to draft more players in the fourth round. So that's why they went Jackson Carmen, and they felt confident with Jackson Carmen. And, and when it comes to the offensive line and adding him, even as a rookie, to be to be to be a starter soon. But, but I think with Joseph Asai, I think he's one of the most underrated pieces out there. They wanted to make an impact right away, obviously on the defensive side. I, I do. I think he's going to be someone who, who definitely is coming in and, and is a big part of their 2021 defense. But obviously, anything can happen. Um, I feel like we'll really get more familiar with who's going to be out there when it comes to the starters and some of the young rookies if they will be making an impact right away week one when we get into training camp. Uh, not not a lot we're pulling from uh, OTAs or, or the day one of mini camp that we did see today. But uh, their, their, their hope is he comes in and he contributes right away. All right, and then your day three picks, like you said, you had three fourth rounders. You got a you got two defensive linemen, Cameron Sample out of uh, Tulane, a defensive end, Tyler Shelvin, defensive tackle from LSU, and another offensive lineman. So they did ended up taking three offensive linemen in the in the draft. Dante Smith, uh, an offensive tackle from East Carolina, out of the fourth round. One of the few kickers drafted, Evan McPherson, out of Florida, in the fifth rounder or fifth round. You got uh, Trey Hill was the third and final. 
um, lineman taken in the draft, the center out of Georgia, and then you got Chris Evans, the running back from Michigan, and Wyatt Hubert, defensive end from Kansas State. How many players do we have here, and are the rest just like special teams guy, developmental guys that will probably be practice squad kind of thing? I think there is developmental guys, and, and I'll bring up right now, as I was talking before, getting to the quarterback was one of the biggest struggles for the Cincinnati Bengals team on the defensive side, and obviously we've talked a lot about the offensive line struggles. I think you look at Deontay Smith, and he has the potential of being someone who could be a tackle in the future. Obviously, he's more developmental. He's not going to be starting week one or anything like that, and, and you hope he's not because that means uh, one of your starters is injured right now. But I think he'll get the chance to work with Frank Pollock and what, you know, just seeing some of his college tape, what he would be able to do if you do swing him out to tackle. Maybe maybe that's more of a in the future to be determined kind of pieces. And and you mentioned the kicker, Evan, Evan McPherson. Uh, of course, teams are going to get criticized for taking a kicker in the fifth round. But with the Bengals getting that extra pick in the fourth round, they were able to do that. They mm-hmm. thought Evan would be gone in the sixth round. And they've had plenty of kicking problems. When you look around the NFL, that's not really anything new. A lot of teams struggle with it. But Randy Bullock, uh, mm. just a couple games last season, even their opener uh, against the Chargers, where he couldn't uh, make that kick. He said he had cramps. And uh, there are a lot of games that were swing, uh, swing or a miss when it comes to the field goal or, or just field position in general. And they really feel like Evan McPherson would have been off the board in the sixth round. So with kickers, they say you, uh, you have to get them around earlier then you plan on it. So that's obviously a lot of the other rookie position players is special teams help, um, but, but more of a a depth piece and, and what they can be in the future with this team. That's a young team. I think they're mid mid range when it comes to ages. I haven't looked at the, uh, the ages for all the NFL teams in a while, but the Bengals are going to be asking a lot of the younger guys to step up over the 2021 season. And then obviously in the future, but Defensive line, offensive line, they went pretty heavy on, on day three. And that's kind of their goal is just to keep developing these guys. And hopefully long-term, um, they can end up being what they were hoping for. But uh, they, they felt that uh, fourth round went really well for them, just adding depth pieces. You mentioned the, you know, with asking a lot of young guys to, to step up and everything. With, uh, uh, you know, we talked earlier about how the, the Bengals held on to to the Marvin Lewis era about maybe three, four years longer uh, than they probably should have. It, you know, patience isn't a word that exists today in, NF, in today's NFL, and the Bengals are basically a definition of patience when it comes to coaching, at least, them and maybe the Steelers that just hang on to a guy until they beat the brakes off of him. How long are they prepared to, to wait out the, the Zach Taylor uh, experiment before they move on. I mean, is it is it a new era in Cincinnati where maybe this year, if it doesn't go well, they're moving on to the next one? Or are we going to be talking about Zach Taylor, the head coach of the Bengals, for the next six or seven years, good, bad, or indifferent? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be like a Marvin Lewis situation in Cincinnati. I think they, they learned uh, from that experiment of, of hanging on a little bit too long. I think, honestly, this year is, is the big year for Zach Taylor. Um, I think, look, no one's saying that the team has to get to the playoffs or it wasn't a successful season, even though if you were to talk to, talk to Joe Burrow or the rest of the team, uh, they would say, yes, playoffs or, or bust. Uh, but this team, just they need to string some wins together. Uh, with the extra game and regular season this year, I, I say, and I, I put it, you know, I, I know Vegas will disagree, but I said seven wins. Um, if you're optimistic, maybe eight. And that's what they're dealing with right now. Obviously, they were the number one pick two years ago, and then you won four games last year. That's still not good enough in this division. I will say this about this team. I think they have the potential not to finish last in their division. 
I know that there should be bigger goals than uh, don't, don't finish last year division and expectations, but obviously the AFC North is, is, is a difficult division. I think the Browns are the favorite right now, and obviously they should be from what happened last season. We determine on uh, Lamar Jackson and, and going into the season with the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think they have the worst quarterback in the division right now, and they're struggling. They're getting a little bit older. Yeah, and I think this is this is a chance for Cincinnati to string those wins together and and win some divisional games. Obviously, everyone will look at last season in the Monday Night Football game, and they have Ryan Finley out there. And for some crazy reason, this team uh, put it together on in prime time and was able to beat the Steelers. But I think that this this is a big year for for Zach Taylor. I'm not going to say if he doesn't win and it's a similar season to last year that they're going to let Zach Taylor go. But I just think it's going to be different than how it was with Marvin Lewis. I don't think he has a, a lot of time. Sure. But I will say this. I'll say this about the team. Um, and I know some would think that their players are just saying that because they don't want to be the bad guy, or they wouldn't say that on, on media interviews. They got they got his uh, they got his back from Joe Burrow to the offense, the defense, Jesse Bates, who we talked to today. They they credit Zach Taylor on on what he's doing in there, the culture he's trying to bring. Uh, I know that, you know, last year was uh, a lot uh, with Cincinnati, and, and everybody's going to point at the Joe Burrow injury, the offensive line, how terrible that's been. This team is only winning four games, and they have 11 losses and a tie. That's not good enough, and Zach Taylor knows that. But I think this year is um, – I'll just say if they, if they were to have a repeat season, I wouldn't be surprised if they moved on from Zach Taylor. But that's nothing against what, what his team feels about him. Sure. And what he's trying to bring to Cincinnati, and it's not—it's not been easy on uh, Zach Taylor at all. And honestly, I, I think that this is um, this this season will be really telling for the future. Well, speaking of the season, as we wrap things up here, let's take a look at the at the schedule. Um, the 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 funny thing was um, when I was going back and and, and doing my research, um, I realized that the last two seasons. And we only play the AFC North every four years. The last two seasons that the Bears had played the AFC North, we were the undefeated AFC North champions because we swept the division in both the 2013 and 2017 seasons. So um, that's crazy to think about, but it's true. And looking at it, I don't know if we're going to be able to pull that off this year because we're coming into a season where three of the four teams made the playoffs last year and uh i don't know if we'll have the same success that we had in in those uh in those prior seasons it was there was those were not good seasons for the afc north and the bears took advantage of it what's really funny about it is in 2017 the bears won five games four of them were against the afc north that's we were one and 11 against the nfc four and oh against our afc opponents in 2017 Go figure. What is it? What is it about the AFC North that's so crazy? And honestly, I've been uh, I've been thinking about that week two game anyway because I felt and I and I feel like after hearing the comments today that they're going to be having uh, Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton will be the quarterback week two when they face the Bengals. <laughs> so I, I want to know when uh, they're going to make the change at quarterback. And this is no offense to, to Andy Dalton at all, but I, I want to know if you were to make a prediction right before the season started, when this team decides to make the switch at quarterback? You know, it's it's a great question. And going in after the draft and when, you know, we, we, we got fields, we have Andy Dalton to hear just or hear Matt Nagy talk about it. 
we might not see best case scenario. We never see Justin Fields in 2021 because Andy Dalton is playing well enough. And Justin Fields is going to be the new Pat Mahomes. So he's going to sit and watch for a year before he takes over next season in 2022 when Andy Dalton's no longer under under contract and so on and so forth. But you also have Nagy now since then, since the draft, making comments like, you never know what's going to happen. We're not going to keep him on the bench just to keep him on the bench. Kind of leaving the door open for there to be an early entrance for Justin Fields. And of course, this was those comments starting to soften up when they saw Justin Fields on the field making throws and, and, you know, showing his knowledge of the offense that he has already, telling receivers what the correct route to run is and things like that. And I think the Bears are like, yeah, we're going to have a hard time keeping him off of the field. So week two, I think that would probably be an early projection as far as Justin Fields being out there. So I think there's a good chance you guys are going to see old uh, redhead out there for you guys. But uh, uh, I don't know how much longer after that. Uh, from what I'm hearing and the way that Nagy's already softening up and we haven't made it to training camp yet, who knows how that's going to last. I mean, he could go out there, and by he, I mean Andy Dalton, go out there and have a Mike Glennon-esque um, nightmare of a preseason, and Justin Fields might be your week one starter if he goes out there and you know, and then slings it around like he has been in practice thus far. So I don't know. I don't know. And after doing all of these interviews, your interview like number eight or nine that I've done up to this point, I'm softening on the idea about when I want Justin Fields out there. Like talking about it, hearing how he's doing in OTAs, I'm getting more excited about him. I mean, I'm thrilled about him, period. But to see him out there as soon as possible is more the way that I'm leaning nowadays. Yeah, and I said before the draft, I felt Justin Fields was the second most quarterback in this draft class. Uh, definitely wasn't getting enough love and, and he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder but I don't think in an NFL teams do what, what we once saw with the Aaron Rodgers or the Patrick Mahomes where you let a quarterback sit for a year they just you don't have that time anymore yeah that doesn't uh, that doesn't happen as, as often as it did in the past so I think Justin Fields will be the starting quarterback this season for the Chicago Bears I agree I just don't know what we get yeah <laughs> Yeah, and, and I don't know for what reason. Will it just be because he's done so well in practice? Uh, you know, because I, I, I like Andy Dalton. Uh, I actually, when the Bears were talking about bringing Mitch back last season and bringing in some competition, I wanted Andy Dalton over uh, Nick Foles. I thought Andy Dalton would have been perfect for that type of situation, and he was somebody that could definitely help us win games if Mitch can't win the job uh, or anything. And we also could have got him for a song compared to what the Bears paid him to come to Chicago uh, this year. So it's like I was on the on the Andy Dalton train last year uh, going into the, into the season, and I, I think he can do well for us. He's a competent uh, quarterback. He's made some Pro Bowls. He's been to the playoffs, didn't win any playoff games, but he knows how to get a team to the postseason. He's done it several times and no disrespect he did it with the Bengals for Christ's sake so he's he's definitely you know a good football player so it's like I wasn't worried or concerned about what's going to happen to our quarter position with a quarterback position with Andy Dalton uh, at the helm but it's like we have Justin Fields thus far in the very very early stages we're seeing that he's everything and more that we anticipated him to be and a lot of Bear fans just want like I mentioned before just want this quarterback conversation to be over with. If he's the future, 
put him out there and put him out there now and let's see what he can do and let let the magic begin now. Let's not wait until Andy Dalton gets hurt or, you know, if Andy Dalton plays his way out of a job kind of thing. Nobody wants to see that happen. We're Bear fans. We want to see these guys win now. We watched them. We watched the Bears lose enough. We want to get back to our winning ways. And, you know, like I don't know how long it's going to be. We'll have to to wait and see. It's like if, if that if there's a Vegas line on that, I wouldn't know which way to bet. Yeah, no, I, I think that's what's uh, one of the biggest mysteries besides where Aaron Rodgers is going to play in 2021. Yeah. When uh, Justin Fields will be starting for the Chicago Bears. But I know uh, I heard it plenty of times. I'm glad you're, you're not anti-Annie Dalton. And I'll say this because obviously Annie Dalton is not the long-term solution in Chicago. Right. They showed that. They got Justin Fields. But he's not a bad backup. No. quarterback to have on your roster and and I think that you know him, him working with Justin, Justin Fields will be a good thing and Andy Dalton I, I say it in Cincinnati all the time I never felt like he got the credit that he should have should have deserved obviously he didn't win playoff games or anything like that but Andy Dalton was good enough he wasn't you know great but he was good enough yeah. to, to be the quarterback in Cincinnati for as long as he was here and I I hope he's okay in Chicago I, I have nothing uh, but best wishes for him but I just uh, obviously I, I'm just wondering when Justin Fields is going to get the start when that'll be in regular season yeah it's just he's he's walked into an unfortunate uh situation I mean and on both ends of this thing because we signed Andy Dalton on the heels of uh Seattle turning down our offer for Russell Wilson and there was a lot of talk and Lindsay I mean a lot of talk about this Chicago thing to with Russell Wilson being a done deal like it's happening I'm hearing rumors I've got sources blah 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 this is going to happen and then it's like yep now Seattle balked and then the like the very next day we signed Andy Dalton and it was just like all the love in the world and due respect to Andy Dalton it felt like such a (laughs) Such a letdown to talk about a future Hall of Fame quarterback coming to Chicago and settling for for Andy Dalton. You know, it just oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, it, and, but it, like I said, it, it, I wasn't I wasn't one of those people that was on the the extreme end, and I was like, Andy Dalton is an upgrade from Nick Foles, so I'm I'm okay with this. I am okay if Andy Dalton is the guy, and it's like once we signed Andy Dalton, that's when I went into team building mode that's when I became (laughs) pro Tevin Jenkins let's go out and get him maybe get another one in the second round maybe we'll get you know like uh, Kellen Mond or something like that in the third round give him a year or so behind uh, Andy Dalton to develop maybe he can become our starter that's when I went into that mode I let go of the whole drafting a quarterback and all that kind of thing after we signed Andy Dalton and of course the Bears had to plan to have their cake and eat it too so they went ahead and did what they did on on draft day and the rest is history so but, um, you know, you, you start with the Vikings week one uh, at home. Then you come to Chicago. So we'll be talking again shortly in September, Lindsay, to preview uh, that game. Uh, it be interesting to see where we're at after week one. And then you come in here at the Steelers. Then a quick turnaround for a Thursday night game against the Jaguars. Home for the Packers. At Detroit. At Ball. Three road games in a row. Actually, oh, yeah. that happens twice for you guys. Three three road games in a row, followed by three home games after the bye. It's a crazy schedule the NFL put together for the Bengals this year. Yep, a lot of people pointed at that. And honestly, I feel like you could look at a lot of teams and be like, oh, their schedule definitely tougher or anything like that. And I, I think with the Cincinnati team, 
it's crazy because you could look at the very beginning of it and say this team could start out two and two, three and one, but if they start out worse than two and two, it's going to be hard to uh, bounce back after that because the schedule definitely does not get easier. Right. But I, I think when you just look at the first four games, their whole goal should be two and two or better. Yeah, and it's not easy to do, but I, I think it gets tough after that. So. It really depends on, on what, what you're looking at in the first couple of weeks, what this team's able to do. As of now, Joe Burrow is healthy. He should be the starter week one. Um, you know, they, they hope for full health for a whole regular season, and, and that's good news because if you go back to that injury, who knew when Joe Burrow was going to come back? Their center right now, who had an ACL injury back in January, has been on the rehab field. Um, unbelievable recovery for Trey Hopkins. And I think that's a big piece of their offensive line. Obviously, Trey is not the best center in the NFL, but they gained chemistry, and he was one of the okay pieces on their offensive line last year. I don't think they're set. I think they're they're willing to put the best five pieces out there, but I think that that first beginning of the schedule, those first four games are going to be really telling for where the season's going to go for the Bengals. Yeah, so those first four games, again, home from Minnesota at Chicago, at Pittsburgh, and then the quick turnaround of Thursday night are at home uh, against the Jaguars, and because – uh, the Bengals weren't exactly lighting up the world last year. That is their one and only primetime game in 2021 is that Thursday nighter against the Jaguars. So unless they get flexed into a, uh, you know, a, a Sunday night game or, or something like that down the line, um, that is the only time a national audience is going to get a chance to check out the Bengals. Unless I missed it on the schedule, do they even play on Monday night this year? No, there okay. is an opportunity for Monday night football to get flexed. Yeah, there is. That's that's weird, but it's but they're doing it this year. Yeah, so there is opportunities, and that's pretty early. And and I want to say November is when they can start doing that. Maybe October. I have to look back at the flex schedule, and it used to be November to see. It's starting in like week five this year. Like this okay. flex scheduling starts in week five, so like first weekend in October uh, is when it yeah. is going to start this year. So there's opportunity, but I think uh, I'll be completely honest. I think uh, any of the day games, the 1 p.m. games, those work just fine for all of us yeah. uh, who are covering the team. I'm not against it. I know fans love their team to be in prime time, and it's great and fun. But I think I think they did that on purpose. Obviously, we want to put the better match- matchups out there. They put the Trevor Lawrence Joe Burrow. I knew that was going to be a big game. And, and the reason they, they, they have that game week four is they wanted to make sure that Joe Burrow was going to be back out there. And I felt like they felt that timeline would give them enough cushion and room for having that Thursday night football game for week four. And with all teams getting Thursday night football games, it made sense. Uh, But yeah, it depends on how they're playing. If they play well, maybe some of those games get flexed out when it comes to their division games. But they got to win games first. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, those three road games, like I said, after Jacksonville on Thursday night, you get the mini bye, then you have Green Bay at home. Then the three road games, at Detroit, at Baltimore, at the Jets. Not exactly the most daunting uh, of road trips, uh, but, uh, you know, that, that Ravens game, they're sandwiched in the middle. Uh, the Lions and the Jets are teams looking to bounce back uh, this year. So, and, and on the road, those are going to be tough. And then you come home for Cleveland before the bye week. And then you go to Las Vegas and then the three home games, home for Pittsburgh, home for the Chargers, home for the 49ers. So that's an interesting stretch uh, right there before you close out at Denver, home for Baltimore, home for Kansas City and then closing out on the road at Cleveland. So it's um, it's an interesting schedule. The Bears have the home away, or actually I should say, yeah, you know, it's away home rotation throughout the entire schedule. We don't have back-to-back home games or road games throughout the entire season this year. 
That's ideal. You think so? I think. I would say so. Having yeah. that, having home away, home away, home away, mm-hmm. 100%. You'd prefer that? Yeah. Okay. All right. Because, I mean, I don't feel any one way about it either way. It's just I just thought it was interesting that that was the the pattern. I mean, they even they even accounted for the bye week. Like, I think we're, we're on the road uh, before the bye week and then home after the bye week. So the pattern holds despite the bye week in the uh, in the middle of it. We still come in, you know, like, oh, yeah, no, we're actually still holding on to this uh, holding on to this pattern. We're uh, let's see. Yeah, at at Pittsburgh on Monday night before the bye, home for the Ravens after the bye. So yeah, the pattern holds all the way throughout the schedule. Away home, away home, away home, away home, all the way throughout. But I'm like you. Um, the only thing that I don't like about the Bears having a good season the year before is that that means we're going to be on prime time like four different times the next season. We're going to be the three o'clock, you know, national game of the week on Fox once or twice instead of the good old fashioned, you know, us here in the central time, we kick off at noon, not one o'clock. So the, the Sunday at noon is when I want to be watching the Bears, not Sunday at seven or Sunday at three or anything like that. I, I enjoy having my afternoons to myself uh, in Sunday. Sunday as uh, you know on Sundays as opposed to uh, having to wait till late at, you know late at seven to, to get those uh, to get those games to come in. No, that makes perfect sense. And honestly, you have the best time zone to watch football games. Amen. I say the Eastern time zone is absolutely the worst. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I would think as far as like watching football and still having a day afterwards, you can't beat the West Coast. You start at no, ten. The, you know, you start at ten. The late, the quote unquote late games start at one, and then Sunday night football kicks off at five, and that game is over eight nine o'clock. You can still have a little bit of an evening after you've watched all the football that there is to watch on a Sunday. But who wants to live on the West Coast? No, I agree. Yeah. I think uh, I think Central Time Zone or, or even Mountain Time that those are your sports watching time zones. Amen. Amen to that. So you were saying, you know, you think maybe seven wins, or is that that's where they need to be this year for there to be progress and for the Zach Taylor uh, experience to continue? I think seven wins is where they need to be. Mm-hmm. I think that's what you have to look at on this season. If Joe Burrow can stay healthy, and we look at some of the games from last season, obviously they weren't in every game, but there were some really close games with this team. And, and if they get the rookie quarterback for the whole year, well, not even rookie. I'm so used to saying Joe Burrow rookie. Getting right. Joe Burrow in year two going into this year for a full season. I think that there there should be seven wins. And I think that's where they get. I don't think it's more than that. And I know that's still not good enough and not enough with the extra regular season game. But I think seven wins is where they need to be. And and that's where you have to be at seven or more. Well, as they said in Philly for years, trust the process. And hopefully <laughs> they uh, they will uh, continue to, to move along here and, and make some uh, progress. Because uh, as a football fan, I don't like to watch teams uh, just, you know, linger in in fourth place year after year after year that's boring to me you know it, it, it oh don't my really goodness, like, yeah. yeah like well, like when i was a kid when i was growing up in the low in the in the late 80s and the early 90s teams like the browns and the raiders and things like that those were those some of the better teams in the league and then they had that period from like the mid 90s all the way to like a couple of years ago where they were the bottom they're the armpit of the NFL the raiders and the browns drafting in the you know top 3 
every single year and making just the worst draft decisions and and things like that. I, th- I think it's boring for the for there to be the for one team to be good all the time and another team to be bad uh, all the time. So I you know I've always kind of rooting for these teams that haven't been able to figure it out for a few years to kind of turn things around and you know kind of shake up the league a, le- a little bit, especially in the AFC because the AFC is such a top heavy conference even though the, the the Patriots have kind of stepped out of the way and we're, we're on to the Chiefs being the dominant team that you can always look at about the same three or four teams in that conference always being the ones uh you know deciding the fate of the AFC whereas on the NFC side there's a different team representing the conference Super Bowl pretty much every single year so I would really like to see that happen in the AFC for those teams to shake it up and get some new blood in the uh in the championship realm I know Honestly, I'm ready for a little bit of change, and uh, I, I'm just ready for football. I'm ready Amen. for the to get started. I'm ready for a new season, and uh, to be done, to be determined on what that's going to look like. But um, I'm ready. I'm ready for fans to get back to. Who's your college team? Is it Ohio State? See, I'll say this: I don't have a legit college team. I love college football. Mm-hmm. I my family is closer to the Columbus area, and they do like the Buckeyes. Okay. But the Bearcats have been fun. Luke Fickle's in Cincinnati, mm. and uh, I think uh, I like what he's I like what he's doing with the Bearcats. So I, I like either or. I know people would say you can't root for the Bearcats or and the Columbus or and the, the Buckeyes, but I'd say both. But I, I'm interested for college football too. Yeah, I've, back a different atmosphere. yeah, being from Chicago, there really isn't a Chicago college team. I mean, there's certainly, you can definitely see that there's a heavy Notre Dame influence. Obviously, Northwestern is in the neighborhood uh, just north of uh, Chicago and Evanston uh, and things like that. But it's it's all, it, with all the sports teams that we have, the Bears, the Bulls, the Cubs, the, the Blackhawks, we don't talk about the White Sox. I'm from the north side, so... <laughs> Uh, you know, it's just it, it's such a pro sports heavy town that college doesn't quite get the, you know, the overall love. I mean, there's definitely allegiances, but there isn't a like Chicago is a northwestern town or a Notre Dame town or or anything like that. So that was something that didn't quite rub off on me. I didn't quite fall in love with college football until I got to college. I mean, I was always watching the game and and things like that, but really kind of falling in love with the atmosphere and and things like that of college football didn't really happen for me until I got to to college and even then I went to I went to Western Illinois so I went to a one double A program we don't get to see my guys on TV uh, too much so uh, even in that realm uh, it doesn't really stick to me like uh, like it does to a lot of people but uh, last thing I wanted to ask you um, the Bengals came out with new uniforms this year uh, I am a self-professed uniform snob and I was wondering what your opinion of the new digs were for the team I will say this. I didn't like their uniforms before. Okay. I liked their uniforms back in the day, even before I was born. I oh, liked yeah. a little bit of throwback looking. I think any time before they made the change, I want to say in 2004 is when they, they changed to their, their other stripes. I right. didn't like it. I think there was too much going on. What I like about these uniforms, they're simple. Right. They're clean. There's not a whole lot going on. I know a lot of people want to throw back and, and they don't like the combos. Maybe the white on white is what they want to see. But I think they're simple, and I'm more of a simple NFL jersey kind of girl. Okay. No, I can dig it. That that was one of the things that I did like. I agree with you. There was a lot going on with that Cincinnati, whether it was a stripe up the side or if it was a Bengal stripe or, you know, do they do the do the, do the pants on the stripes connect to the stripe on the shirt and or the jersey, I should say. The numbers are, you know, and how they accent the numbers and 
and whatnot. I'm like you. I Like I said, the glory days of the Bengals when I was growing up, they had the big blocky varsity numbers, uh, you know, just the black jersey with the stripes on the shoulders. That's all it was. And that was the uniform that worked for me. And and I agree. I wish they would kind of go back to something more like that. But everybody's got to have the funky numbers with this and the sharp edge on this one and and things like that. But thank God they didn't do what Atlanta and the Rams did last year and go with like, oh, let's have – Let's have the black fade into orange on the white jersey in the numbers and, and things like that. Those jerseys are a disaster. Yeah, and one thing I'll say that I like about the uniform, what makes them different is they have tall brown on the neck. It's not showing or anything like that, but they made it pretty simple, and they put it inside the uniform, and okay. I thought that was different. And he should be included in their uniform because he's tall brown. So I think the signature, uh, almost like the autograph on the neckline inside the uniform makes it look cool. Oh, nice. Kind of like for the the bears with the GSH on the uh, on the shoulder pad. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I like that. It. Well, Lindsay, I appreciate uh, appreciate the time. Uh, thanks so much uh, for being on the show. Let everybody know where we can uh, find you and uh, follow your work online. Yeah, you can find my stuff over on Cincinnati.com. We have a lot in between training camp and regular season for the Bengals coming up. So go check that out. And over on Twitter, Ellen DS Patterson. All right. And do you do a podcast? It was in your Twitter bio. Are you still doing that? I do do a podcast, too. Sorry. The Bengals do podcast is over on Apple and Spotify. You can check that out. It's with the Cincinnati Inquirer. Okay. Just to let you know I'm available. If you guys need a guest, I'm, I'm here course. for you. You know what? You will. You will be our guest. And as we get to week two. Awesome. Regular season. All right. <laughs> so we'll have some home-and-home home, uh, podcasts that week, our podcast and yours. So I look forward to it. All right, Lindsay, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. We'll, we'll talk to you in early September after week one. It was good talking to you. Thank you so much. One down, three more to go, and I uh, want to thank Lindsay from the Cincinnati, Lindsay Patterson, excuse me, from the Cincinnati uh, Inquirer, and I look forward to uh, having her back on the show when the Bears and the Bengals crack heads uh, in the, I believe it's in the first month of the season. Let me go ahead and pull up my notes uh, real quick and confirm when that was, even though you just heard me tell her uh, when that was going to be. Uh, let's see, schedule week number two. Yeah, Cincinnati right off the bat then. Cleveland right after that since he is actually going to be our home opener uh this year so very interesting uh very interesting situation there so the, the very first regular season home game in Soldier Field since 2019 and uh it'll be the Bengals who uh you know get to say hello to that very first raucous Soldier Field crowd so uh that should be interesting looking forward to having Lindsay back in uh the week two preview to uh to find out uh what the rest, what training camp, what the preseason was like, what week one uh, was like for the Bengals. How did Joe Burrow look in his first regular season action since the injury? Did he make it through the preseason? That's always a question uh, as well. Not because he's fragile or gets beat up, but because, you know, shit happens in the preseason. You never know. And unfortunately, it's the Bengals. That's the kind of luck that they have. Remember uh, back in uh, 1995, they uh, trade up to the number one pick. Uh, with the Carolina Panthers to uh, get Kajana Carter, who was the best running back in college football the year before. Literally his third play from scrimmage, his first time handling the football. He makes a cut 
and blows out his knee. His rookie season is over in the very first preseason game. So it's like things like that happen to the Bengals. That's why the Bengals have been the Bengals more times than not uh, in the last uh, 20 plus years. I mean, 1995 was, God help me, almost 30 years ago now, 26 uh, to be exact. So uh, that's a long time ago, folks. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. And uh, it, it, uh, it's, um, you know, I, I, I kind of, like, I think I mentioned this when I was talking to her. Uh, you know, I kind of grew up with like a sentimental attachment to the Bengals because the, bang, the, the NFL guys looked very, very different when I was when I was growing up, you know, the bears were the cream of the NFC. They could just never get over the hump after 85 to get back uh, to the Super Bowl. The Packers were the worst team in the division, along with the, with the uh, Buccaneers uh, when the Buccaneers were in the NFC central uh, back in the day, back when there were only 28 teams. Now there's 32. I don't know what this nonsense is uh, and things like that. So, uh, you know, the Bengals won the NFC, won the AFC championship back in, uh, 88, they were all constantly duking it out with the Browns and the Oilers, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, another team that doesn't exist technically anymore, the Houston Oilers, uh, to go to the playoffs and win the AFC Central um, back in the day. And, uh, you know, Boomer Esiason and Icky Woods and, you know, Anthony Munoz was one of my idols uh, growing up, you know, because I'm half Hispanic. He's a offensive lineman. You guys hear me say it over and over again as a former offensive lineman, blah, blah, blah. You know, so I, you know, I, I grew up admiring uh, players like, like that, and the, the Bengals were fun to watch. They had an exciting offense back in the day. So, um, you know, to see them kind of floundering is, you know, the opposite of what I grew up watching them do. So I would like to see things turn around, and and just like, uh, you know, I've talked about a million times, just parity in the AFC is nowhere near what it is in the NFC. The NFC, the AFC is is a top heavy uh, conference as far as like you know about five teams run things well so that they're constantly in the mix, whether it be in the Super Bowl or to be in the AFC championship game, making deep playoff runs and such. And the other, you know, 11 teams are constantly scrambling for second and third place. And they're more so jockeying for draft position than they are trying to get to the top uh, of the conference. So, you know, seeing, you know, seeing the seeds being planted with Cincinnati, you hope it works out because it's boring to see the same team be, uh, you know, be horrible year in and year out. Like it was boring watching the Browns be crappy, uh, you know, ever since they came back into the league in 99 and uh, and things like that. It's, it was boring for the Raiders to be the butthole of the NFL for for the longest time. It's also boring that the Patriots were always the best, that the Steelers were always there, that the Broncos were always there and things like that. It's like trying to get some new blood in there, which is why even though I'm uh, a, an NFC team fan, you know, obviously being a Bear fan and everything, I'm just a fan of the NFC in general because it's not a predetermined thing when it comes to the NFC. There's always somebody new emerging. There's already somebody coming in. You know, there's, there's, there's staple teams, like, you know, especially in the last 25-plus years. You know, Green Bay's always been near the top, and, you know, and teams like that have always kind of, uh, you know, been towards the top and, and and what have you. But there's always a different NFC champion. You guys have heard me mention it many times before. Like back in, you know, like 2018, 2019, I, I did the numbers. The NFC had sent like 13, 14 teams in the first 18, 19 years of the 21st century, while the AFC had sent five. You know, it's like that's, that's crazy. So um, anyway... Uh, looking forward to to having Lindsay back on the show week two. 
uh, to preview the Bears' home opener with the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll talk about week one and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Coming up next, we have the Cleveland Browns, who, uh, despite making the playoffs, were the third-place finisher in the division with 11-5 and record. They won their wild-card round of uh, matchup with the Steelers. and Essentially, they beat the Steelers in back-to-back games. They won Week 17 to make the playoffs, then went to Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers in Heinz Field, um, rather convincingly, actually, uh, to move on to the divisional round where they uh, – they duked it out. They, you know, they put a hell of a valiant effort in uh, with the Chiefs before the Chiefs just kind of, you know, were the Chiefs and did their thing and sent the Browns uh, home. Would have been would have been a very interesting AFC Championship game between the uh, the Bills and the uh, the Browns, especially since that game would have been in Cleveland uh, if uh, if um, if the Browns had managed to be able to figure that one out. So we'll be talking to Jeff Lloyd from Locked On Browns to. Uh, t- Talk about the offseason that the Browns have had, how perception has changed in the last couple of years since Kevin Stefanski took over and, and how the culture uh, with the Browns has changed and, and hopefully it will maintain uh, going forward. Because as I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, growing up, the Browns were one of the best teams in the AFC. They had some classic AFC championship games against the Broncos. Of course, unfortunately for them, they came out on the wrong end uh, of that, but uh, with with Schottenheimer back then and Bernie Kosar, Kevin Mack running the ball, you know guys like that, or Ernest Biner, a uh, lot of great football players on those teams. Clay Matthews, senior, uh, and whatnot. Michael Dean Perry, the Fridge's brother, uh, who was probably a better football player than the Fridge, if you are honest about it. But uh, guys like that, and uh, you know, we'll talk about the Browns and and what to look forward to in in twenty twenty one. And, uh, and beyond. So come on back on Thursday for the uh, Cleveland Browns. And then next week on Monday, we'll have Kevin Ostriker from Locked on Ravens. And then next Thursday, we'll finish up the AFC North with Christopher Carter from the Locked on Steelers uh, podcast. So uh, then we move on to the AFC North. I'm already lining it up with, uh, with Evan Western, uh, Jeremy Reisman, and Chris Gates. And uh, just talked to Lauren Cox today. He'll be more than happy to come back to... Uh, to wrap this whole thing up with the uh, the Bears preview at the end. And then I'm working on a little bit of surprise between the Bears show and the start of training camp and um, trying to see if I can get that together. And uh, hopefully it will be something that we can uh, pull off and uh, enjoy. Because I noticed that with the way I'm mapping out these shows, I'm going to have a week between the Bears show and when uh, training camp starts. So I kind of want to fill up that last week because the 31st is a, I want to say it's a a Friday or a Saturday, I believe. I think it's a Saturday. So July 31st, when the Bears report to camp, is a a Saturday. So I want to fill up that week heading into it uh, with something else. So uh, I'm working on that now. When I pin it down, I'll let you guys know. Uh, But anyway, come back on Thursday for Locked On Browns is Jeff Lloyd to help us preview the 2021 Cleveland Browns. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been Bears Talk Underground. Hey, 
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.